Hello, and welcome to Who Runs That? I'm Seth Stevenson. Today on the show, we'll be talking about Chirps, a company that makes snack chips and protein powder out of crickets. Joining us is CEO Rose Wang, who co-founded the company along with a couple of college friends while they were still undergrads. In our conversation, Rose Wang talks about going on the network show Shark Tank and selling 15% of her company during a few minutes on TV, about the environmental advantages of eating bugs, and about whether crickets can feel pain. After the break, Rose Wang, co-founder and CEO of Chirps. Hello, and welcome to Who Runs That? Today, we'll be talking about Chirps, the company that makes food out of insects. And with us is Rose Wang, co-founder and CEO of Chirps. Rose, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So to start, just tell me, where did this idea come from to make a company that makes food out of insects? Love that question. We always get this. How'd you get into this? Um, So it happened with my co-founder, who used to be my college roommate. She was an African studies major and was studying abroad in Tanzania when she saw a street vendor selling fried caterpillars. And she had no idea what to think of it. Um, She was also a vegetarian. She is a vegetarian. Um, And so didn't know, is this meat? Is it not meat? Um, But you know, one in Tanzania. So she bought one and she put her mouth and her first thought was, wait, this tastes like lobster. And, um, you know, looking back, it actually makes a lot of sense because insects and crustacean are very closely related. They're both arthropods. Um, and so the texture, the taste, um, the flavors were quite similar. And so she, when she came back to the U.S., she started researching, well, why are people eating bugs in Tanzania and not here in America? And that's when we found out that insects are one of the most sustainable protein sources. Um, and we really wanted to bring this protein source to the mainstream and to the countries that eat the most amount of meat, because that's how we can make a huge impact on our climate. So your college roommates, you have this yep. <laughs> large, somewhat you know, quirky idea. What were the first steps you took to actually turn this into a, a company with a, a product that you're selling to people? That's a great question. Um, and I think especially as college students with no experience in starting a business, I think that's a big, like, how, what does it even mean to turn something into a company? Because then all we wanted to do at the time was to get our friends to eat bugs. That was actually the first step. So, um, no profit you know, motive, we went just, to the, just eat bugs because yeah, we no think pro- it's a good idea. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, We think this is a great idea. You know, we got over the fear. Can we do this with other people? And that was more of the fun of it. It was just a project for us. Um, And so I think we went to the local pet store because that was the only place that we could find bugs. Um, This was five years ago and um, got some the crickets and um, fried them up in our dorm rooms and tried to feed them to people. And You'd imagine um, exactly what happened. People just freaked out. <laughs> I had a friend who like fell out of his chair uh, when we brought out the the platter, and so um, that it was a very interesting reaction because we kept thinking, you know, we understand their reaction because we had that same reaction when when she and I first had our experience of eating bugs. But you know, what does it take for us to switch that mindset? Because we, after having the first bite and realizing it wasn't scary, it tasted like food that we knew, it took away the fear factor. And so um, we started experimenting with different formats because the question isn't that people are scared of bugs, period. It's that they're scared of bugs from an ooey gooey perspective. And that's what we found out, right? It was the 
you don't want to think about the fear factor of it. So that's why we actually turned to chips. Um, that was our idea is if we can make it crunchy, um, we actually offset the fear factor and we wanted to test if this was true or not. So then we, we launched a Kickstarter um, to see whether or not there was actually traction and in, in belief in our product and idea. So you do this Kickstarter. I imagine that gets you a little money to get going with this, but eventually you end up on Shark Tank, which is this network show yeah. where entrepreneurs pitch their ideas to a panel. And I, I think I've got this right. I think in like in the course of a few minutes, you sell 15% of your company to Mark Cuban, celebrity investor slash <laughs> owner of the Dallas Mavericks, for $100,000. So that is not a typical fundraising path. And I'm, I'm curious how doing that compares to if you had just gone like to traditional venture capitalists or if you'd just continued to bootstrap with money from yourselves and family and friends? That's a great question. And it's not an either or. So Mark Cuban was our f- really our first investor. So for four years, uh, we could not raise money. We were three women, college grads, who had no experience in food and wanted to start a food company selling bugs. And we were in Boston. So for all of those reasons, I understand why we were a very risky investment. And um, we would walk into the doors of the fundraisers and they said, you know, just I, I don't see this happening. Um, then we went on Shark Tank and got Mark to believe in us. Um, he just he got it immediately right away. And since then, it's been fundraising has been no problem. Um, and we not only have brought on much more angel investors and are starting to think about a seed round, but also it's just we're, you know, we're turning people down because for me, it's about finding the right investors. Um, and Mark really added the legitimacy and credibility we needed to bring this to light. But we joke that we're the only company or one of the few companies that haven't pivoted from day one. Like we've been cricket chips from day one. Um, you know, we've changed the branding and, and the, the taste of the chip, but the idea has been the same. But having Mark on board after four years changed our story and changed the perception from investors' point of view. So how did going on Shark Tank actually come about? And how, do, as you were in the lead up to actually going on, how did you strategize? How did you prep for that? We watched three seasons of Shark Tank in one week. (laughs) Uh, We just watched over and over again, and we thought about every potential question they could ask us um, and thought about, you know, not to pitch the story and and to change the narrative, but really to, you know, how do we answer in the way, the most effective way? And so um, doing a lot of that pre-work helped us. Um, The one thing, if I could go back, is I would love to practice the negotiation process. I feel like we over-prepared for the Q&A aspect. And then when Mark came in and said, okay, I'm ready to invest, it like took us, we were so shocked. We weren't expecting it um, that I think we didn't, I would love to practice negotiation. (laughs) How would you have, how would you have anchored if you had to do it over again? What kind of numbers would you have tried to get them at? (laughs) I mean, it's so hard to go back and rewrite history. Um, you know, I think about, so I think we landed 100K at 15%. I think um, we probably could have landed somewhere between 10 to 15 um, and every percentage point counts. So I think those are the moments where it's like, ah, oh, that would have been great had we, um, basically he he came in at 20%. I counted at 15 and he accepted. And he accepted so quickly that I think back like, hmm, I probably should have uh, lowballed him a little bit more. <laughs> so yeah. 
I I mean, at this point, we're Mark has been great. He's followed up with more investment, and he's always available himself personally. And so I have zero regrets about bringing Mark on. I feel like um, he's one of our favorite investors. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> That's always how it is. I'm sure it's tough to negotiate under the television lights in the moment like that. Yeah. There's like a bunch of cameras pointing at you. And if you ask me about my experience, honestly, I like feel like I blacked out. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what happened that day. And give us a sense of, of where the company is now. How do things stand? What's the status of the company at this point? Yeah. Well, this is what's so exciting. So uh, before Shark Tank, we were in about you know 20 stores across the country, just littered uh, like natural food stores um, and selling online. But really, it was just me and Laura doing every job. So we did ops, we did marketing, we did sales, we did design. I mean, we just did it all. And then since that year, uh, 2017, when we got funded by Mark and then brought in other investors, now we're in about 1,500 stores, including Kroger, um, which is one of the most uh, mainstream grocery stores in America and doing very well in Kroger. Um, We also are you know, selling really well on Amazon. We just launched our new um, cricket protein product and we hired a team and now we have um, six employees. And so things have just really changed for us ever since we went on Shark Tank. I think just having the legitimacy, having people who believe in us and and having that narrative turnaround um, from the funding perspective really shifted the course of the company. Where do you source your crickets from? Is Is there a cricket farm? Where do they come from? Yes, um, there is a cricket farm. We used to joke that in our spare time, we'd go out and catch crickets. Uh, But that is, of course, not scalable and not what we do. It's a very controlled environment where crickets are grown. And that's actually what we love about insect protein is that it's just extremely safe. So from a a clean and safe perspective, uh, if you look at insects in their genetic makeup, it's so different from humans that if crickets had um, some sort of disease like uh, cricket virus, much like um, you would with the swine flu, for example, it's just very unlikely that it would be transferred to human beings. And so that's what's super fascinating from a scientific perspective is that just insects are very far away from the human chain that it's actually quite much more safe for us to eat than traditional meat products. And then from there, our insects are grown in uh, very clean um, warehouses where you have to wear a suit to go in. Um, and they're you know grown in these biocontainment units where any toxins that come out from in, uh, from outside to the inside actually kills the crickets because they're raised in such clean environments that any exposure to the outside, they actually don't live. And so our crickets are fed on a gluten-free diet. They are, every batch is tested for microbial testing. So we have some of the cleanest protein sources out there. How many crickets are we talking about? How many crickets do you go through? (laughs) Um, So what we say for our chips is that there's one cricket per chip. And for our new protein powder that you can make into your favorite smoothie or shake, there's about a thousand crickets (laughs) in a tub. You mentioned that one of your co-founders is vegetarian. and Yes. Crickets are animals too. And I, presumably, if you keep scaling this up, you will be killing like a gazillion crickets. And so I wonder, does, does that give you any pause? Do you think places like PETA could eventually come after you and want to defend crickets? 
Seth, that's a, I mean, this is a question we think about a lot. And of course, we get pushbacks from from vegans um, who are very, very strong advocates of any animal rights. And so we very much want to respect them and their views. The way that we see it is very different. Um, In general, insects like crickets have, in the wild, they live about nine weeks. Um, We eat them at about six weeks. And the other thing about insects is that they have a very limited central nervous system with no pain receptors. Of course, we're not crickets, and I'm not going to say that um, they don't feel pain, but they don't feel pain the way that humans conceptualize pain. And it's very similar to plants where there's also plants have sensors. And so like if you've watched any, there's a really great TED talk about um, the tree networks and Mother trees will know which trees are her own young, and she'll send more nutrients to her own young than the other trees in her forest. And what I find so interesting is that crickets, on the other hand, they don't know they're young. And how do you define sentient? How do you look at this? And these are questions that we love to pose rather than answer, because it, I think it really depends on your own views. Um, but the way that we see it is if you kill a mosquito, you're probably okay with eating insects. Um, and for most of these insects, they just, they're not aware of what's going on around them. And I would much rather eat insects than kill a cow. So tell us about your marketing strategy, both in terms of where and how are you advertising? And also what are the what are the sort of key levers you found that help actually convince people that eating bugs is uh, a cool thing to do? Yeah. Um, and I, what, what I love about, I think our marketing and our company and our brand is that we're really just talking to people like us. Um, we're all very in tune with what's going on with the world. We really care about this planet. We care about what we put in our bodies and, also, we love to have fun. And I think that's generally what Chirps is all about is the way to get people to do good, I think, is to make it fun and make it better than whatever else is out there. And that's our goal as a company is we're not saying, you know, buy the, these chips, buy the protein powder, um, and there's a discount on taste just because it's better for the world. Absolutely not. I think we have to have the best products out there, the best products, not only in terms of taste, but also in terms of what it does for you. So take our protein powder, for example, um, compared to whey. Well, whey, uh, 65% of all humans on the planet are lactose intolerant. Whey is a dairy product. It comes from cows. It comes from dairy. You know, it's not something that everyone can take. And so looking, if you're looking for a complete animal protein to take to help with uh, muscle building, with recovery, there aren't very many options out there. Um, There are, of course, also lots of plant proteins and very supportive of lots of plant proteins, but not all plant proteins are created equal. And right now, soy is the main dominant. Um, It's a monoculture. It's creating a lot of havoc on the environment. And then also a lot of other plant proteins are not complete proteins. And uh, what's great about cricket proteins, we actually solve for both of these issues. So I think as a brand, we really care about telling the message of why in a fun way. And then it's the why that keeps people coming back because there are just, there are very many reasons to believe with bugs. And where are you putting that message out? What kinds of channels and platforms are you using to get this message out? Yeah. um, So this is actually, I think, where the novelty has helped us. So uh, like I said, for the first four years, we couldn't get any funding. So it's not like we were putting money in ads. Um, We had we've just spent zero money on marketing because we didn't have those dollars. Um, And so we relied on 
the media and press and social media to tell our message. And we just told our story. And because it, we are the first movers, because we have, um, I think, a great story and something that, you know, we're tackling uh, the food system from a very different angle. We used that to help propel the, the mission forward, to help propel the company forward. And then going on Shark Tank, that's another great platform for us to reach five to six million different Americans across the U.S. And so we just look for opportunities um, where we can tell our story. And I think that's, it's all about storytelling. That is what is resonating with our consumers um, and, our, and our other bug eaters. Um, and on top of that, um, now we're becoming much more, now we have some money. We're, we really want to put it towards uh, the people who believe in us first. So for us, it's about investing in our current customers rather than thinking about talking to the average, you know, mom in the Midwest. Like she might just not be the consumer that, that's going to buy chirps today, but we want to talk to the Patagonia buyer who goes hiking on the weekends who wants a healthy snack while they're hiking. And I think that's exactly how we need to talk to them. We go to we go to them, we go to the gyms, we go to the festivals they're going to, uh, we target uh, more of their audience or the, the people who look like them um, on social media. Our content is all about how they c- it can benefit their lives. Um, and we show them different ways that they can use a product in their lives. And I think that's the way to go is speak to your audience, know who they are, really understand your consumer and keep building from your current believers. You mentioned you're a first mover. What does the competitive landscape look like in the insect food sector? Yes, great. And I would and I love that you're defining it as in the insect food sector because we see that, you know, we have two competitive sets. We have of course the other insect companies and then the other snack companies we're competing against because for us it's important that we go mainstream eventually. So we do always have to think about who else are we competing with on shelves. Um, but in terms of other insect companies, there's a lot of great companies out there, um, like Exo Protein. They're creating a protein bar. There's um, Seek Foods. They just came out with you know different baking mixes with cricket protein powder and cricket flour. And so, but we don't necessarily see them as competitive, and I don't think they see as com- as competitive in these early days. You know, we're not competing on store shelves right next to each other. In fact, I think we are helping each other grow the number of people who want to eat bugs. So, you know, where their marketing dollars are going are actually helping us and vice versa. And so we're very collaborative as an industry because we all are in it for the mission. And I think that's what I've loved most about um, starting a mission-aligned, mission-based company. Are there any special operations challenges, logistical challenges in making a chip, in making a chip out of a cricket as opposed to you know, chip companies don't use crickets. Are there any special processes or things you have to do in order to get to the same endpoint? I think manufacturing challenges for any CPG brand is, it's just like the barrier to entry. It's a, of course it will happen. Um, But for us, there were so many more challenges on top of that. So when we started this on Kickstarter um, in 2014, we actually became one of the most funded food Kickstarters that year. You know, there were people all over the world who were so excited about the idea of cricket chips. And then, so we had, you know, we had the reverse problem where we had the orders and we couldn't fulfill them because all these manufacturers we were calling were like, what is this new ingredient? And they were worried about contamination. Um, 
And already it's hard for a small company to find a manufacturer because for a manufacturer, we have to guarantee that we can produce X amount every so often. And as a new company, you just can't guarantee that volume. And so we already had that hurdle as an early stage company. And then on top of it, we were putting crickets in the chips. And so um, there was a huge hurdle of finding the right manufacturer partner that believed in us. And so that first year, we called 400 different manufacturers. Laura and I were just on a phone um, dialing for a summer, got a a lot of no's. And honestly, I think it's helped us become better entrepreneurs. But it's that type of hustle that we had to do in the beginning um, to find the first manufacturer. And then beyond that, you know, there's so many different things that we do think it definitely changes the texture it definitely changes because we're a high protein item um it changes the taste and so we still want to hit we want to be the best tasting chip out there and um, having an ingredient that's higher in protein makes it a little bit harder to make that happen why is that why is the protein complicate things yeah great question so protein makes um chips more dense and when we think about chips that do well, they're light and airy. So it's about how do you balance the texture of light and airy with a very protein dense content. And so that's honestly something that I'm still not happy with. And we're continuously iterating on our recipe to make sure that we get there and we're not going to stop ever. We're just going to keep iterating until we get to a chip that we're satisfied with and we can see it in the consumer's eyes. If they keep coming back, um, that's when you know you've got it. How much do we really taste the cricket in your chips? Like, how does it compare to, you know, you eating a cricket raw or I don't know how people eat crickets. That's <laughs> yeah. it. But how much of the, how much cricket flavor are we really getting in the chips? Yeah. So crickets, when you taste them, have a nutty umame flavor, which is also why we went savory, because I think that depth of flavor actually brings out really well in a salty snack product or any salty product. So from a flavor perspective, it actually helps us. Like we don't have to add as much sodium because there is a natural like savory flavor that comes with crickets naturally. The The tough part is the texture element, like I talked about. So our chips are, um, they're healthier. Um, and so they're not as light and airy as a Doritos, but you know, I think we're more similar to like late late July, uh, a little heavier, denser chip because it's a multi-grain healthy chip. Um, but we're still continuously working on uh, the recipe because we really want this chip to just be like the chip that you have when you're watching TV. Um, our sriracha flavor is so good, and so I think working on that texture is the is the key piece for us. So, what is on the horizon for chirps? Do you see yourself working with? other kinds of insects or different kinds of snacks or different taste profiles? What kinds of new things do you have in mind? Yeah. I mean, what excites us about the insect space is that, like I said, there's 2000 varieties of edible insects that have been completely undiscovered from a culinary perspective. And from even just a protein perspective, because um, insects are an animal protein, we can actually mimic the taste and texture of meats much more similarly um, to what we have today than plant proteins, which are a completely different protein structure. And so the vision of our company and what Laura and I have thought about from day one is how can we introduce um, the variety of insects from snacks to eventually meat. Um, you know, the, the dream is that you walk into a grocery store one day and there's a turkey burger, a beef burger, and an ento burger. Um, and that's exactly, I think, what is possible and what we're working towards is the pipeline is there's could be, you know, there's so many different ways to use insect proteins. Um, you know, ants have this 
amazing acidic sour flavor and you can top it on ice cream um, you can extract that flavor and it goes great in baked goods and so there's just so many different ways that we can approach this and the exploratory the discovery of it is what we're so excited about and um I would love for everyone to join us and keep watching what we do. And we'd love everyone's feedback. Okay. I want to ask a few questions about you. So I've seen you say that before you, this company happened, you'd always sort of thought you were going to go get an MBA. I yeah. don't think you have gotten an MBA as best I can tell from my research. So I'm wondering, what do you think you missed out on anything? Do you wish you had an MBA? What ways do you think it might help you? Or do you have no regrets about that? Well, I got into Harvard Business School um, through their 2 plus 2 program. So what uh, they accept 100 college seniors every year. And so you matriculate after two to four years of working. Um, and last year was my last year to defer, and I turned it down. So um, I had a lot of time to think about this year over year. And I think um, it's about what you want to do and why you want to go to business school. And for me, I want to be an entrepreneur for life. I'm very lucky to have discovered that this is what I love. Um, and I love how hard it is and I'm addicted to the highs and the lows. And so for me, going to business school doesn't really make sense. I think the best use of my time is build a company and learn from experience um, and, and really build an advisory board around me. Um, for example, I'm in the Wingable Accelerator and my uh, mentor is Rachel Drury from Daily Bee Harvest. She is so sharp, so great. Um, and to be able to have access to someone like her who's been through it, the highs and the lows and, you know, is many stages ahead of me. That's exactly the type of learning. I think that's much more, or it's a higher ROI than going to business school. But that's because I want to be an entrepreneur. And I very much think business school is great for people who, um, you know, are looking for other career paths. So this is purely my story. Do you think there's anything you're, you're missing or any skills that, you know, you, you might've gotten from that that you don't have? As an entrepreneur, I can guarantee that <laughs> making a decision when it's your your baby, your life on the line is very different than making a decision when you're sitting in a classroom reading about a case and you're thinking, why didn't they do this? And I, I think that that real life experience is so much uh, more valuable when it comes to entrepreneurship than uh, reading about it. I mean, there's just thousands of books out there on how to build a company, but look at how many companies are actually successful. It's just, you have to just do it and, and learn from those mistakes. And, and to me, it's like, am I missing out at business school? I'm sure there is. Like, I'm sure I can make a much better performa had I gone to HBS. I'm sure that um, I can framework my SWOT analysis um, in a much better way. But at the end of the day, you know, is that really what moves the needle for me? Not really. You mentioned this a little. You were three young women going out seeking fundraising, and it is notoriously harder for women to, to do fundraising. How did that play out for you, and what kinds of unique challenges did you think you you faced, uh, given who you were? Yeah. I feel like the dialogue around fundraising and females is um, is not very clear. And for me, what has been frustrating is that there's absolutely bias in fundraising, um, but no one will ever say it to your face, right? No one's ever going to say, I'm not going to fund this because you're a woman. Um, and that's actually the truth of any ism, right? It's, it's oftentimes subconscious, oftentimes a bias where they 
uh, if you look at human psychology, we oftentimes make decisions emotionally first, and then we come up with the reasons afterwards. Um, and so that's the real bias I'm working towards. And so that was another reason we brought on Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is a legitimate um, investor, an entrepreneur who's been through it. And so having him on board gave us the credibility we needed that we were legit. And so that that changed the narrative and um, you know had, had no problem fundraising ever since. Um, but that's something that I think about day in, day out is I am sh- there are many people out there uh, who have biases and it's, I'm not going to think about, you know, because I'm a woman, I'm not going to get this funding. I'm going to think about because I'm an entrepreneur and I know my business day in, day out. Um, we work very hard. I think our team is one of the most um, talented teams out there. I mean, that's why we're going to get the funding. And so I always focus on the the pros and the things that work for us. Um, and that's how you start knocking down these biases. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Rose Wang, co-founder and CEO of Chirps. Okay, we're moving on to the lightning round. Are you ready, Rose? Let's go. Are there any books or movies that have informed how you think about managing an organization or managing people? Yes, uh one of my favorites is uh, The Power of Habit. I think there's a lot of great lessons in there about how to develop great habits as an entrepreneur. And that's really important is when you're just one person or two people, how do you motivate yourself every day to wake up and um, move the needle? Um, another great book is um, The Lean Startup. I love it. It's a classic for everyone. But if you can follow, I think the advice is out there, but it's about following it. So if you can really follow it to a T. Um, I think it really sets the company apart. Uh, what's the one mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? Hmm. <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> um, I think the one mistake is that in the very beginning, when we started the company, uh, we were pitching all the time. And um, the director of the Harvard Innovation Lab, Gordon Jones at the time, he came to me and he said, what'd you learn today, Rose? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I just pitched all day. And he's like, Rose, you're surrounded by experts, people who've done this, and you haven't learned anything. And so that actually shifted my thinking completely, where I think a lot of founders pitch all day long. Um, but if you can turn around and start asking more questions than you pitch your company and yourself, um, that also moves the needle significantly. If I told you tomorrow that you're fired, that you can no longer <laughs> run chirps, that you can no longer be an executive of any kind, you can't start a new company, you can't do anything even remotely related to the kinds of things you're doing now, what would you do with your life? <laughs> um, if it wasn't even remotely, man, I would just find a way to do it. But I know <laughs> nope, that's, that's a cheating. Out. Nope. Um, I know. Okay, okay. Um, I'm okay. So I also am very passionate about education. I think early childhood education is extremely important. And um, when we look at the root of problems in society, it's about having an uneducated, unloved, unempathetic population. And so how can we um, teach empathy, teach compassion to um, our young people? And I think that's really how this country and the world can get better. Rose Wang, co-founder and CEO of Chirps. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Seth. That's it for today's show. Who Runs That is produced by Cameron Drews and Cleo Levin. 
TJ Raphael is the senior producer for Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate and review us in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can email us at whorunsthat at slate.com. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening. 